Engel. In football or soccer, there are rules for a ball out of play. That's exactly where we're taking you in this podcast series, Out of Play. Beyond the rules, beyond the pitch, beyond the game. Because every four years during the World Cup, it's more than a simple story of goals scored and athletic displays. Sometimes the really interesting part starts after the final whistle. We've crossed the world to talk with journalists and passionate fans to bring you some of these stories that all have one thing in common, the World Cup. In the stories you'll hear, some of you weren't even born yet. For others, you might remember it like it was yesterday. This series, Out of Play, takes you inside eight of these tales, thanks to the people who actually lived them. You may wonder, why choose an American to help tell you these stories? Well, it's obvious. We're neutral. We're never in the World Cup. Millions of people from all over the world join Nigerians in celebrating their first ever World Cup goal in the USA 94. The image of Yakini grabbing the net, muttering words we may never know, is forever embedded in our minds. Four years later, at France 98, the world watched in fascination as Denmark smashed the once promising Nigerian team in a 4 0 opening match. Now, let's consider how these World Cup experiences could have influenced Nigeria's political history. This episode takes you off the football pitch and into the streets and homes of Nigerians to bring you the untold stories of how Nigerians braved their political adversities and uncertainties to remain united in supporting their national team. We'll go from Nigeria's World Cup qualifying matches in 1993 the same year the acclaimed freest and fairest elections were held and annulled in Nigeria, to the country's World Cup second coming at France 98. These are the stories behind the story of the two World Cup tournaments that marked the end of a political era in Nigeria. October 8th, 1993. The Nigerian Green Eagles are playing in Algeria for an opportunity to represent Africa in the World Cup. Their match against Algeria is a crucial decider. If Nigeria wins, the country's flag will be among the 24 flying at USA 94. The crowd at the Algerian stadium was scant. Just over 2,500 spectators gathered to watch the derby. In their homes, thousands of kilometers away, Nigerians waited by their radio sets. The international press described this time as the most turbulent period in Nigerian history since the 1967 Civil War. Now, earlier in the year, in June, Nigerians had gone to the polls and voted in what has been called the freest and fairest elections in Nigeria's political history. Chief MKO Abiola had won. But the election was nullified by the military regime of General Ibrahim Babangida. This earned Babangida the nickname the Maradona of Nigerian politics. Pressure from inside and outside Nigeria forced General Babangida to step aside in August, handing over power to an interim national government. Nigerians hoped the head of government, Chief Ernest Shonikan, would do the right thing and return Abiola's mandate. 
42 days later, the interim national government was still in place and the political climate was no better. But at least Nigerians had their football. And if they could manage a draw against Algeria in the second leg of the qualifiers, they would be headed for the World Cup. Ameka Onwuka, a football analyst and publisher of ACL Sports, an online sports magazine, remembers what it was like for Nigeria during the qualifiers. It was a three-team group, Nigeria, Côte d'Ivoire and Algeria. We lost the opening game in Abidjan to Côte d'Ivoire, then we beat Algeria at home. The home match against Algeria was very poignant. It was a week after the June 12 elections annulment, July 3rd or 5th, I think. Nadeka officials, you know, the civil liberties group, they were around the stadium handing out leaflets just before the match, asking people to sit at home starting the next Monday. There was a palpable feeling of foreboding among spectators. I remember Algeria scored first. You could have heard a pin drop. Then Nigeria equalized and it was like a collective sigh of relief. We went ahead to win that match. Then Côte d'Ivoire came to Lagos, hoping to get a point. We beat them, so it was that we had to go to Algeria, needing either a draw or a win to qualify. Nigerians had a long political road ahead of them. But at the Stade du Saint-Juillet 1962 in Algiers, the road was only 11 minutes. A powerful right-footer from Finiti George put Nigeria one goal ahead. Here's George. Oh! That's a terrific goal by Finiti George. The only time I cried over football was that night on October the 8th, 1993. My generation was used to supporting Brazil at the World Cup. By 1990, I had sworn of Nigeria's coach would take us to the U.S. So getting that qualification was just it. Although Algeria later equalized in that match, their one goal was not enough to stop Nigeria. Nigeria was headed to USA 94. June 11, 1994. Chief MKO Abiola had had enough of waiting to have his mandate handed back by the interim national government. Instead, the Ernest Shonikon-led government scheduled new elections. But even that government didn't last long enough to hold them. In what has been called a palace coup, Ernest Chonikan, on November 16, 1993, resigned as head of government, and yet another military dictator stepped in, General Sani Abasha. Still, Abiola waited and hoped. Six months later, Abasha remained on his path to remove all democratic structures, and there was no mention of a transition to civil rule. So, at a potato in Lagos, Abiola declared himself president of Nigeria in a move to reclaim his mandate by force. His choice of Epitato had a deeper significance. In the 1860s, Epitato was a place of refuge for families fleeing from Oba Akitoye and British forces during conflicts over royal ascension. As an impoverished area of Lagos, Epitato is also a fitting place for a deposed politician to address the masses that elected him. Here's what Abiola is saying. Today, people of Nigeria, I join you all in saying enough is enough. We have endured 24 years of military rule in our 34 years of independence. Military rule has led to our nation fighting a civil war with itself. Military rule has destabilized our nation today as never before in its history. Military rule has impoverished our people and introduced a dreadful trade in drugs which has made our country's name an anathema in many parts of the world. Even soccer fans going to watch the Green Eagles play in America are being made to suffer there needlessly 
because Nigeria's name is linked with credit card fraud and advanced fee fraud, also known as 419. TV football analyst and sports pundit Emeka Aniadike recalls how the story of Chief Abiola's declaration broke just six days before the start of USA 94. It was probably the best time given the events that led to the declaration because somehow he and Abasha seemed to have had an understanding. After Abasha took over from the interim government of Ernest Shonekan in 93, they appeared together before the media after the meeting. But obviously, Abiola didn't want to let go of his mandate and eventually resumed his agitation. Abiola himself knows the power of football, and I would imagine that he also thought it was a good time to act. Nigeria had never been to the World Cup, and we had just won the AFCON. So, although expectations were high, no one knew what to expect because of our opponents. But once the World Cup started and Nigeria beat Bulgaria 3-0, everyone focused on the World Cup. Emeka Aniadike is not the only one who thought Nigerians ignored the political situation because of the World Cup. In his book, Fine Boys, Igosa Imaswen wrote about this time in Nigeria's history. Although his book is a work of fiction, he uses facts from the World Cup. The first June 12th anniversary came and went very quietly. The World Cup distracted the rest of the civilized world, while the Americans who hosted the competition changed their TV channels en masse to catch O.J. Simpson trying to outrun the police at 40 kilometers an hour. We kept busy watching football, not paying attention to the pressing issues that our country faced. After Chief MKO Abiola declared himself president, he was placed under house arrest. Nigeria was in a state of political uncertainty. But one thing remained certain. In just a few days, the World Cup would kick off and the Eagles would make their first appearance. June 21st, 1994. Eleven players lined up to defend Nigeria's pride, Africa's pride, at the Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas, Texas. The whole team were there in the opening lineup. Their kicks hit the Bulgarian net three times. Their goal celebrations would be replayed again and again on Nigerian TV. The entire nation was euphoric. Even though the matches were played in the dead of night, Nigerian time, that didn't deter fans back home. People hit the streets in celebration. The celebrations continued into the late morning. Bedsheets were transformed into Nigerian flags for those who could not afford to buy real flags. Motorists tied green, white, green plastics to their boots. Nigerians looked forward to the next match against Argentina. But before that match, the political plot thickened. Chief MKO Abiola was arrested by the military junta in the late hours of June 23, 1994. I actually heard of the arrest of um, MKO Abiola by BBC World Service. I was in church that day. Then I ran to a shop where I went to listen to um, BBC Sports Roundup. At the time, there was a radio station in Nigeria that used to hook up with the BBC during um, the late evening sports roundup program. After the program, or during the program, they broke for Focus on Africa, and it was a headline, complete with Chief MK Abiola's call into the BBC. What is happening at your house? Are you being arrested? I'm being arrested. I'm being taken out by the police. There's a large crowd here, and I'm being escorted out to detention by singing the national anthem. Why are they arresting you? They are arresting me on the allegation of felony and treason or something like that. They are not doing anything. They are just taking me away. Please, let me go. You know I'm delaying them. And so where are you now? Are you in your car? I'm in my car now. Is the police with you in your car, or are they escorting? The 
commissioner of police is in the car with me and my wife is in the car with me. Why are they letting you talk on the phone to the BBC while in the midst of arresting you? <laughs> They've come to arrest me, not to arrest my mouth. You sound very cheerful about it, Chief Abiola. Of course, you know. It's all part of democracy here. And you are happy to go to the police and await whatever charges they're going to file against you? I'm not in any way disturbed by it. Any sacrifice is in order if it will bring democracy, peace and prosperity to Nigeria. Is it possible to talk to the Commissioner of Police who's with you in the car? I don't know if the Commissioner of Police is authorised to talk. He cannot talk to the press. What is your advice now to your supporters, many of them we heard a moment ago? I told them before I left home to just stay calm. It is very, very important that they stay calm. So you are appealing for calm. You don't want them to take any direct action in your support. No, 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 no. You still say you're the president of Nigeria, but it's no much good if you're going to be in jail. Mandela was in jail for 27 years. Kenyatta was in jail. I suppose that is one of the qualifications you need in this part of the world. Don't worry yourself, my friend. Eventually, Nigeria lost to Argentina, but won against Greece to make it into the round of 16. Nigerians went into a frenzy. Not only were they in the World Cup, they were in the round of 16. Some already thought a World Cup medal was within reach. Clemens Westhoff, the Green Eagles' technical advisor, said Brazil was the only team he saw as a threat. Emeka Onwuka noted the Brazilian team sent Nigerians into overdrive. He said there was no feeling anybody at all was even worried. Everybody believed the Nigerian national team would go through, that they would beat Italy. Everyone was psyched. Despite all the excitement surrounding the match, politics were still roiling. Pockets of students in universities across the country made feeble attempts at protesting the arrest of MKO Abiola, but their demonstrations were easily quelled. On July 4th, 1994, one day before Nigeria faced Italy, the staff of the National Union of Petroleum and Natural Gas, NUPENG, went on indefinite strike. Nupeng made three demands. Number one, the military had to go. Number two, Chief MKO Abiola had to be released. And number three, all democratic institutions that had been shut down had to be reopened. On July 5th, 1994, Nigeria faced Italy. Nigeria took the lead 20 minutes into the match. A corner kick from George Finiti sailed into the box and bounced off an Italian player straight into the feet of left-winger Emmanuel Amunike, who tapped the ball into the net. Nigeria defended their goal for 88 minutes. At the 89th minute, just two minutes to the final whistle, Roberto Baggio scored for Italy to tie and forced the game into overtime. Messi, Roberto Baggio has A penalty to Italy at the 102nd minute of the game sealed Nigeria's fate. The eagle had stopped flying. Nigeria was going home. I have not watched a Nigeria versus Italy match again since 1994. I have not been able to bring myself to watch it again. Because we were so close, so, so close. When the game ended, I had this feeling of a heartbreak. I just felt really, really pained. The rest of the World Cup, I watched in a blur. Sports journalist Sheena Asherum, who has been a live commentator and analyst for more than 1,000 matches in stadiums across Nigeria and the world, said this about Nigeria's defeat by the Italians. As soon as the final whistle sounded and we were out, 
I was in a black hole. I lost my senses somewhat. I stepped out of the house and started walking away. I just walked and walked and walked. I had no idea where I was going. This probably took me about maybe four hours, five hours, six hours, I don't know. But I walked back home and I wiped that game off my memory. Amika Aniadike, who had his big TV breakthrough commenting on the USA 94 World Cup games, said Nigeria's loss to Italy was just what Chief MKO Abiola needed. I was disappointed with the loss, and most Nigerians were, because we played so well and we were two minutes away from eliminating Italy. I always made a joke about the aftermath of Nigeria's ouster by Italy in the second round. Suddenly, people needed to vent their frustration and disappointment. They remembered, as if someone had said, Hey, what about Abiola and June 12th? It was surreal. It was the best thing that happened to Abiola's cause. The protests and agitation that followed were unprecedented. A year earlier, there had been riots, and I remember being trapped in Lagos for one week. In 1994, the trade unions, especially Nupeng, got in on the act and shut the country down. If Nigeria had beaten Italy to advance to the quarterfinals, nobody would have been distracted from the football. That was, and is still, the power of football, especially a winning national team. The World Cup party was over. Nigerians needed answers to political questions that the military was not ready to give. The period right after the World Cup marked the beginning of an era of civil persecution like Nigeria had never experienced. Nigerians responded with civil disobedience. Nupeng and the NLC were disbanded and placed under government control, while Secretary General Frank Kokori and President Wariebi Agamene were thrown in jail. Civil rights leader Wol Suyinka fled into exile. Members of the Campaign for Democracy, a civil rights and pro-democracy group, were thrown in jail. Other agitators were either imprisoned or killed. In 1995, Ken Sarawiwa and his fellow Ogoni men were put to death for their environmental advocacy. Nigerians suffered through a reign of terror. Despite all of this, Nigerians still enjoyed their football. Atlanta 96 saw Nigeria lifting Olympic gold with the same team that had lost at the World Cup. Nigeria played qualifying matches in preparation for France 98, but the military administration couldn't just leave football alone. Their interference in the Sports Association administration brought sanctions. The new team manager, Philippe Trussier, was removed after the Super Eagles qualified for the World Cup. His replacement, Bora Militinovic, would take Nigeria to the World Cup in June 1998. Two days before the France 98 World Cup started, the world was shocked at the news of the death of the dictator, Sani Abasha. Media reports show people pouring into the streets to celebrate the death of General Abasha. Official reports say he died of a cardiac arrest. The rumor mill points to some hanky-panky involving female prostitutes, Viagra, and poison at a Nigerian official's villa. Some American intelligence officials said the rumors were true. 
Others said they were only partly true. What was certain was that Abasha had a lot of enemies, and some Nigerian officers thought the general was destroying the military's reputation. Family and supporters cried murder. The military upheld the line that it was a heart attack. But the Americans also drew suspicions. Chief Abiola died the very day he was supposed to be released from detention, just three days before the end of the World Cup. One of the last people to sit with Abiola was Susan Rice, America's then Assistant Secretary of State. Others in the room were Ambassador Thomas Pickering and two other officials from the American Embassy. Susan Rice allegedly offered him a cup of tea. Eyewitness reports say he started choking and coughing a little after drinking the tea. He was declared dead about an hour later. Suspicions weren't helped by the fact that the general was hastily buried within hours of his death. 24 years later, Nigerians can look back at USA 94 and point to it as a defining moment for the country. The year politics and football tangoed and football shined. Today, Nigerians still remember football. Nigeria is headed to another World Cup, Russia 2018. This time, fans and pundits like Emeka Onwuka aren't making any bets. To be honest, I believe this team, they're a very strange team, to be honest with you. You cannot be certain of what will come out from them. I believe that either this team will go out at the first round of the World Cup or they'll get to the semifinals. Nigerian football blogger Shina Asheru said he didn't want to be let down again, so he has stopped expecting Nigeria to win. He said, Some wise old man said, the person who expects nothing will never be disappointed. After what happened to Nigeria in 94, I stopped expecting anything when Nigeria plays at the World Cup or any football tournament because I don't want to be disappointed. Like football, like politics. In 2015, Nigerians voted for change. President Goodluck Ebele Jonathan was kicked out. Muhammadu Buhari, the ex-military dictator and friend of General Sani Abasha, was installed as a supposed president. More than two years down the line, Nigerians are full of regrets. The economy is as stagnant as professional football has been since 1998. The country struggling to overcome recession, and many outside President Buhari's core northern base want him out in 2019. Will Nigeria shine in Russia and revive hope in the masses? We'll be watching. Namakachi. Good ball. Time the run to perfection. He's got plenty of players in there. There has to be a goal. Yakini it is. 20 minutes into the game. Out of Play is produced by Angle. This episode was written by Abigail Anaba. Sound production by The in Paris, France. Original score by Roman Pilo and Max Zippel. English version narrated by David Gassman. Find more episodes of Out of Play anywhere you find podcasts and on outofplaypodcast.com.